Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of The Flight Stuff. Here we are again to talk about Canada's premier super fighting group. I'm Liam O'Donnell, uh, <laughs> editor-in-chief of Cinepunks.com. I'm Adriana Gober, managing editor of Cinepunks.com. And I'm Doug Tilly, a contributor to Cinepunks.com and a podcaster. So we had an uh, exciting episode on the last one. If you haven't checked it out, I don't know why you would jump order on the, these, but maybe you <laughs> did. Maybe you thought, I don't want to hear about episode, or issues six, seven, and eight. I want to jump to issue nine. Uh, but I would encourage you to go back and listen. I really appreciated that we had a, a, a great discussion and we got really into it. Um, and I'm I'm excited now to jump in again on issue number nine. Uh, but really quick, I just want to check with y'all. Is there any Alpha Flight news? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if there is any breaking Alpha Flight news. I don't even know if we would necessarily be privy to that, Liam. Yeah. But, I, you know, one thing we'll talk about at some point in the future, and maybe, Liam, just possibly, yeah. in the scope of this podcast, it might even occur, is the fact that there's been talk of an Alpha Flight movie for years and years. And, I mean, I don't know if that's going to come into fruition. Certainly, Marvel, you know, seems willing to take a chance on some of their lesser-known properties these days. So it's, I think it's fully possible, maybe in a TV form, maybe in a movie form, that we'll see an Alpha Flight movie in our lifetimes. Who would you cast in an Alpha Flight movie? Oh, that's a great question, oh. but I do not feel prepared to answer it in any significant way. However, I would like for us to have this conversation again, where we go away and we cast all of the main Alpha Flight uh, characters with actors, and then we come back and compare our answers. I appreciate that, and I think we definitely should do that. I do want to name up front the very difficult issue that Puck represents. Yes! Is it, though? Is it that difficult? It is only in the sense of um, we've basically limited ourselves to um, one little person actor who we give all the roles now, and so there isn't space for that, and so uh, we might be inclined just to cast a short person, but they still haven't clarified. We're still trying to figure out exactly what's going on with Puck. Is he just very short? Is he a little person? What is what is going on? And and I seem to remember the backstory about what's going on with Puck changes over time anyway. So maybe oh. we're, we're asking the question before it's even able to be answered. I don't know. So I, I just think that casting would be interesting. Then again, I mean... They could just CGI the whole movie and no one would notice. I guess I don't know. I mean, they might, they could very well do something like that. But I mean, you're you're certainly I'm you're thinking of Peter Dinklage. I imagine. Yeah, I just correct? Peter Dinklage is getting all the he gets all the roles. It's but I mean, him. this you're right. This is absolutely a quandary. But it's a conversation worth happening uh, because there are lots of little people. Jesus, what a horrible way to say that. There's lots of actors of smaller stature yeah. who who could fit into a role like that, who maybe are not getting these opportunities because Peter Dinklage has such a visible presence in film and television. But it doesn't mean they're not out there. Maybe it gives us an opportunity to do a little research in that field as well. What happened to Warwick Davis? Yeah, well, I don't know if his acrobatic skill <laughs> could match up at this point. <laughs> I love that, Adriana, because I was literally about to say that. Like, we went from Warwick Davis to Peter Dinklage, and that's, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, and that's I, none of this. Let's not misinterpret this. I love me some Peter Dinklage. I'm not. I'm not uh, bemoaning his acting abilities whatsoever. It's just interesting because I, it's not just the fact that we don't have a lot of options there. It's also the fact that I don't know how Hollywood would deal with this character because I don't know that the comic is always clear what's going on with the character. So I don't. I, I don't know how to take it. And um, I think that is a good place for us to transition here uh, to 
this the the meat of this episode we'll be discussing issues nine and ten now uh i just want to note some of y'all might have been hoping for a three issue uh, uh coverage but there is a new arc that starts in issue 11 that goes through 11 12 and really 13 as well so uh we're gonna get to those another time but uh we've got this two issue quick arc here with uh sasquatch so let's start off alpha flight Volume 1, number 9, from April 1984, written, drawn, and cover by John Byrne. Uh, Doug, why don't you tell us about what happens in this issue? Well, the main story of this issue is called Things Aren't Always What They Seem. It starts with Walter Lankowski. He's hanging out at a research station near Mount Logan, uh, kind of northern Canada, which has been receiving a strange signal through their satellite dish. Against all (laughs) scientific logic, they isolate the symbol and beam the thing, the character of the thing from the Fantastic Four to Earth. Uh, Unable to move this, this giant character... Uh, Langowski transforms into the Sasquatch, just reveals himself to the other people in this party so he can get the thing to the station's doctor. However, after discovering something odd in the thing's blood, the doc is suddenly murdered and set on fire. Uh, Langowski's very curious about what's going off. He goes off into the woods to try to track down who was responsible for the murder, but he realizes too late and just before his entire camp explodes that it's actually the uh, work of the Super Skrull. Whoa. So this is uh, another one of our big kind of Marvel crossovers here. Another one related to the Fantastic Four. I want to talk a little bit about this cover. What do y'all think about this cover? Well, it's it's framed kind of interestingly. So we have Sasquatch standing there um, sort of cradling the lifeless body of, I think that's Meg. Mm. Um, and there's this molten rock arching downwards into the shape of a hand, and you realize, oh, that's the arm of the thing. So mm. right away, uh, that might entice you to read the book because uh, a a, fin- a member of Fantastic Four is obviously going to be making an appearance in this issue. So that's that's a good way to grab attention. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and to be honest, the first couple of times I've looked at this cover, I didn't actually realize that was the arm of the thing. I guess I just wasn't paying enough of attention. But you're, it is interesting framing just as some sort of rock formation going around it. I do like the Kirby dots that are going on in the background. I like that it gives that it gives it that totally. co- that cosmic feel, which actually does play into the uh, both issues actually. Um, and and even though this is a very earthbound tale that's being told, I. I am starting to like how they're pulling in elements of the wider Marvel universe, though um, I I felt a little uncomfortable because this is a continuation of a story that's happening elsewhere. So we're we're not really uh, exposed to some of the background, but it's not hard to pick up. I also think the cover could be interpreted as a bait and switch just because of, yeah, just because you see the thing. And then you see Sasquatch looking rather intense right now, and one could read this cover as, "Oh, Sasquatch has gone crazy, and now the thing has got to bring in, uh, got to bring in some Fantastic Four justice. Show this Sasquatch fella that he's got to get himself under control before he kills this uh, person he's holding on to right now." Because the way his hand is in like a claw shape, sure. the look on his face, you c- you could go the other way, which I think kind of is playing a little bit with the fact that we don't know much about this character and and really in a sense two characters right we don't know much about walter lankowski and we certainly don't know much about the giant beast he turns into so um you know i could see uh readers seeing this and maybe thinking the story was going to go in an entirely different direction um speaking of the story i was happy to see um 
that we were going to spend a little bit of time with Sasquatch, who we haven't spent that much time with. Uh, Adriana, I know you're a huge Sasquatch fan, <laughs> that you have a Walter Langowski tattoo. Uh, tell us a little bit about how this really tickled your interest in Sasquatch and how uh, you love him and he's your favorite comic books character of all time. Oh, yeah. I stand a hairy legend. Um, <laughs> admittedly, I was actually a lot more invested in the backup story for once. Uh, which we'll get to that uh, in due time. But um, I don't know. This story worked for me, I guess. It, it, you know, there was there were some decent stakes involved and a decent twist um, that I guess, I mean, depending on how knowledgeable you are about the, the Marvel Universe, it, it might have been telegraphed a little too obviously, but, but still, um, I liked the reveal of the Super Scroll um, and... Uh, I I guess the, the stuff I really liked about the issue was was Burns' artwork more than the, the plotting and what was actually going on. But and I and I'm also not a very big fan of Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. So uh, really, I, was, I wasn't super thrilled at a Sasquatch centric issue. But um, I can, did. Kind can you of, el- can can you elaborate on that? Just because I don't know where this character is going. Is is there a reason you don't like? Uh, He's kind of a so- jerk, but uh, Doug, you have to stick with it to find out why we and okay. I are always dunking on Walter. But, um, and I think the way you said that just sort of highlighted the issue, right? The issue is Walter Langowski. Sasquatch is just a big furry thing that apparently Walter has control of, and then maybe later he doesn't. Um, but. Uh, Walter Langowski as a character, I mean, uh, taking um, uh, a jock and combining him with a super scientist turns out doesn't give you the most charming, endearing character in the world. Uh, What about NFL Super Pro? (laughs) Good point. There you go. Well, the Grundle and the Fly and Cronenberg's The Fly is sort of in that vein, but uh i all i'm saying is it it's clear walter legowski has never had a reason to doubt his own abilities from from the way he's written and so it it, it he's never endeared to me which is a, a problem for me as i said when i was reading this comic I, i've talked about this before on the show that um when i was a kid a character like sasquatch that sounds great he's a giant furry guy he, he could crush things he's strong like all the all the sort of um you know uh male fantasies i was having as a kid about this super strong character was it was there like that he seems really intimidating uh but walter seems like a drip and i and 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 again maybe not maybe there's things change over time i'm not putting myself out as a as a alpha flight expert but none of my memories of him as a character are are endearing at all i know doug you're new to this comic Mm. how did this story hit you and did it make you maybe have a little bit more appreciation for Walter since since we haven't really heard much from him other than him uh trying to um uh seduce uh uh Aurora to get her to stop <laughs> freaking out. I mean it, I've been waiting for this issue, right? For us to get a little bit of time with this character simply because up to this point I don't really know anything about him. I know that he's an ex-football player. I know that he can turn into the Sasquatch seemingly at will. Uh, and that when he is in that form, that he maintains, for the most part up to this point, uh, his his personality as a person, uh, for however far that goes. Um, aside from that that part where he maintains kind of himself in the Sasquatch form, he's basically just 
a weaker version of the Hulk. And they kind of play that up even more in this issue because when he has a broken bone and he changes into the Sasquatch form, he, you know, he basically has a sort of rage that, that he's completely out of control of. So he, he's even more like the Hulk in that case. He's just kind of a dumber looking Hulk, you know? I mean, just a big hairy Hulk. <laughs> oh, I love I love the way he looks. I completely disagree on that point. Okay, well, okay. He's just a big yellow hairy monster, which is fine, but that's not the Sasquatch I know and love. I'll tell you that much. But... <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach. I do like the idea, actually, of, you know, instead of transforming from a nerdy scientist-type character like a Bruce Banner, from someone who's already, you know, has had, uh, has a lot of kind of physical prowess and, and as well as being super smart, kind of, maybe that's a little too idealized of a regular character in terms of a shift. But, I mean, I can see potential there for interest. It's just that, you know, it's not like he's a wise-cracking guy. He sort of is, but isn't. We're not shown. He's not shown to have a lot of charisma. He's not a leader, so I don't really know what he serves in the group up to this point. What I, although, the other thing I bothered by, and this is something that's kind of been repeated through the last several issues we've covered on this, is that he's just like their secret identities don't matter at all. He just reveals himself as Sasquatch because he's like, I got to carry the thing to the doctor. I can't do that unless I'm Sasquatch. So I guess I'm just going to show everyone that's who I am. It's just like, well, then why even bother having a secret identity in the first place? Uh, There is some hint, I can't remember if it's in this issue or the next one, that he had a family that has basically left him uh, or that they've been separated for some reason. I don't know what the, I'm, I imagine, I think the next issue that we're going to cover on the next episode of the show is going to go into his background, which I'm sure we'll learn a bit more then. But it's just like, you know, who is this guy? Maybe I should have known about his background before I'm supposed to care about him in this capacity. But, you know, mm. we got Super Scroll action going on. We do have what appears to be a tribute to John Carpenter's The Thing in terms of the base that much of this issue takes place uh, in. This uh, The pacing of this story is the, has the same issue that I've had with several recent issues. It's that because they have the backup story... It feels like everything is rushed. It feels like you're going through the story. This should have been, I think, a full issue where you get to know a little bit more about, say, what this base is supposed to be doing and how Walter ended up working there. And, and you know, he, we can tell he has kind of simple conflicts with everybody. But then by the end of the issue, everybody on that base is dead. So they don't really matter. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I think Byrne has done in a few of these issues and maybe it's something he does other places too like we have this character who just hates Walter and we never find out why and and part of me kind of doesn't understand like I get like okay this adds a little bit of texture I guess but I would want that texture to help us understand one of those two characters and all all it tells me is that apparently sometimes when Walter goes places people just randomly hate him which isn't necessarily endearing I mean I, I guess maybe he feels like Walter's invading his space but we're not really given enough time to understand why it matters so why give us the detail in the first place knowing that all these people are just going to be dead by the end of the issue. It just seems, it seems like a weird thing to me. And and I don't know what to make of it. It's, it's sort of like a half baked attempt to create some kind of conflict or tension, but it never gets resolved in any way. It's sort of, he sort of just unceremoniously ends it before it really goes anywhere in this case by, by killing everyone in an explosion. (laughs) (laughs) I think he almost ends it even before that in the sense that as soon as this guy is like, Walter, you know, I don't agree with you at all. It's like, yeah, well, I'm a Sasquatch now. So what are you going to say to that? And the guy's just like, <laughs> I got nothing to say. You're, you're a giant <laughs> creature. Uh, I also, 
I take look. It's comics. We the science of comic books is something that we could debate all day. It it isn't based in our kind of reality, but the transferring the signals that these people are catching into a human being that basically they beam him down Star Trek style onto their satellite dish was was a little much for me in this issue. Yeah, it's a satellite dish. It's not it's not any kind of teleporter. Right. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, you guys can tell me what you think about this, but at least in Alpha Flight, I've not been uh impressed by John Burns' fake science. Like I think there are some comic book writers. I, I, look, Everyone Stan knows. Lee is a no. great example. Like a lot of yeah. the science in his writing was based, loosely based anyway, on, on actual scientific concepts. I think that's the thing is that there are some comic book writers who can take a little bit of truth and spin something that you know is fake, but it has an internal logic. And it seems like with Byrne, both with his science and his mysticism, nothing makes sense. There's no internal logic. Things just happen because he's decided they're going to happen, at least so far. And maybe that will you know, get more solid over time. But this is a perfect example of like, look, I need the Super Scroll to show up. I know the Super Scroll is out in the cosmos as a dust i don't even know what he's doing out there so he just this is how we're gonna get him down this is just what it's gonna be and so be it and it just felt very cursory and not very serious you know i agree with you but but also i just very quickly learned to kind of just get on get on board with whatever he's putting forward and kind of like sure allow for that suspension of disbelief it's just less frustrating (laughs) (laughs) The the science that you are taking issue with, Liam, I think it's even maybe even a little bit worse in the next issue we're going to talk about. So we'll come back to it then. Also true. But uh, also true. The, the Super Scroll. My understanding is that he was in the form of some sort of radioactive sound wave out in the galaxy that was then transferred into human form or brought back into human form as if it was like binary code or something like that. But it didn't come. Anyway, we'll talk about it in the next one. It's ridiculous. All right. Well, so the the story is a little, you know, it is what it is. And, 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 and at least we got to spend a little bit of time with Sasquatch, even though it's not, not my preferred. And, and, and a lot of it's just Walter Langowski running away. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's, Let's spend a little bit of time talking about the art of this issue. I mean, we we talked about the cover being pretty impressive. Do we feel like the promise of the art on the cover plays out in the rest of the issue? Adriana, what'd you think? I really love the art in this issue, especially for the backup story, but for the main story as well. I mean, we're we're seeing a nice amount of line variation from Byrne. Like he strikes a good balance between um, you know, precise finer line work for figures and the interior backgrounds, but, you know, also has some thicker texture and shading going on too. Um, But the exteriors in particular uh, are very striking to me, Uh, just the textures of the snow. And of course, there's that really gorgeous uh, split panel spread where we see Walter running down the mountain uh, and then being blasted backwards by this massive explosion. (laughs) And, uh, I just think the explosion is rendered very nicely, and it creates this appearance of a fluid action reaction that is very effective. Doug, what did you think? Did you feel similarly? Yeah, I was going to bring up that exact same panel layout, the, the boom on display there. It really does give the impression. It's, it's interesting because, you know, they're showing an explosion from the 
perspective of the person experiencing kind of the, the wave from it, right? And, you know, it, I think a lesser experienced artist might go ahead and be like, oh, the main event here is showing the thing explode, so we need to show that. But I think this is a much more effective way of doing it, especially because they show the aftermath afterwards. I do want to bring up that, that Byrne does a really good job with kind of the grotesquerie on display here. Mm. There's a part where um, Walter finds uh, one of the the people who are working in um, on the base, Meg, the one who's shown on the cover, and she's basically, you know, clinging to life, and she's half burnt, and, you know, it really, it's a pretty affecting moment. I mean, it's it's meant to be dramatic as you're seeing uh, the end of her life, and it's I think it's presented in a pretty, um, I think it, it dispatches of a lot of the comic book conventions that you might uh, associate with superhero comics, and it's played very real and very gross, and, and I really like how that's done. And I do want to give a special mention to both the final splash page of the Super Scroll, which is terrific, uh, but also the page before that leading up to his reveal, where it shows him sort of bathed in fire, kind of presenting himself. Uh, because we all, I think, for the most part, suspected that this was what the character was going to be from the information that was provided, it's probably not as effective as it could be otherwise. But if you are not expecting that character, it is a very cool reveal. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, I also agree, and, and and I pretty much agree with everything y'all said. I I think it's true uh, that there's something about outdoor scenes for uh, Burn, uh, maybe less so the Arctic stuff we've seen, but when he's in you know a forest or you know there's a mountainside or something, something about those scenarios really bring out the detail in his work and really give you uh, a certain amount of. I don't know, something to like uh, really latch on to. And then uh, the close-up character work when, when we're in a tight space and we're really seeing people. I, I think the, the places where I felt weird sometimes, and not in this issue, where some of the action scenes sometimes feel, even if the action is done well, um, the rest of the page sometimes feels rushed. And that didn't happen in this issue at all. Like every page felt... I don't know, just very alive and, and had a lot of detail to it. And, you know, not overly so, but but enough that that um, I felt very much engaged by it. And I think, again, you know, uh, I, I guess I've read enough comics that when I see the thing and it's probably not the thing, my brain just was like, oh, it's probably the Super Scroll. Just because I don't know what else, I don't know what the other option would be there. So that's where my brain went first off. But I agree with you, Doug. If if you're someone who isn't thinking that way or, or didn't expect the Super Scroll, that reveal at the end really is great. And it's even great for me as someone who kind of was like, I bet it's a Super Scroll. That's still great art. That's still very effective uh, for the storytelling and really really works really well. So, you know, that's great. I mean, there's a part of me that um, there's something about that character that I both like and don't like. And we can get into that in the next uh, when we discuss the next issue. But there was a small part of me that was kind of like, all right, well, this he, he it seems like an easy um, an easy cross uh, property character to just pull out because you just need somebody. Sure. You just need somebody for him to fight. He's got to fight somebody. Let's pull out the Super Scroll. Sure. I mean, we've already established apparently in another issue that he's dust in space, but I need him, so we're <laughs> gonna bring him down. It's just there's a small part of me that didn't love that as as a plot point, but uh, but I I think as far as the the way it's portrayed, this is one of the better issues I think we've looked at as far as consistency. So I really like that. I, I would. I would agree with that, Liam. I think maybe for listeners who might not be familiar with 
who the super scroll is could you give maybe elaborate just a little bit on that sure thing? um f- you know the scrolls uh and i think a lot of people probably know this but if you don't the scrolls are a, a alien race you know i don't know i think is this like another like a celestials project or something i'm not sure exactly what their origin is but uh we get to know them as the the enemies of the kree and they're shapeshifters um but what sets a super school apart is that uh he's not just a normal shapeshifter he has been gifted all of the powers of the fantastic four but more so uh and you know sort of as a plot device at least in the issues i've read you, you know when he was fighting the fantastic four it's kind of an opportunity for for the author to talk about teamwork right he has he has all of their powers to the nth degree but he's just one man and they're a team and they work together as a team you know um but he 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 uh he's become sort of a uh a, a intimidating i mean everything about the scrolls to me are you know, shapeshifters are creepy, period. You know, so the idea that anyone, anywhere, and, and this comes into play in later comics a lot with the whole, you know, scroll invasion and all that stuff. Yeah, secret invasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That And I think a lot of that stuff was, I didn't read all of it, but some what I did read was pretty effective. But I think what, you know, this character is, is basically a way for narratively it's an opportunity for whatever character you have facing off against him to to face the fantastic four i mean that's really what you're doing right you're facing all of the powers of fantastic four and that's you know that's the ogs right there that's that's the uh the original gangsters of the marvel universe like that's intimidating you know i worry a little bit that with this character because of not only just having all of those powers and having kind of advanced versions of them that you have to come up that if it's just a single superhero fighting against the super scroll that you kind of have to find an out for them to be able to beat them which is kind of what happens in the second issue we're going to talk about because hand to hand there's really no way that they should be able to beat them so of course he, you have to use your 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 wits you have to use your wiles right um but even then it's like they they even we'll get to it in just a moment but this character doesn't just have like a series of regular powers there's even other powers that you wouldn't expect right, on top of right them, right uh so yeah but we'll talk about that in just a moment uh well let's talk a little bit about this uh origin story uh for Aurora um a stranger in my mirror <laughs> I didn't mean to laugh at that but I just think it's a very dramatic anyways uh 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 Doug why don't you tell us what happens uh in this origin story for Aurora certainly uh so if the uh, main story wasn't cherry enough this origin story of Aurora starts with her as a 13 year old trying to hurl herself off the roof of her school, the one that's uh, run by the French-Canadian nuns, before, after jumping off, she discovers that she has the ability to fly. She attempts to tell the nuns in the school, uh, but that leads to accusations of blasphemy and a string of mental and physical abuse, uh, leading to her to develop a split personality. She suppresses her abilities and, I guess, that split personality for several years, and then eventually, when she turns 18, she's offered a job teaching at the school, but suffers another mental break, which sends her out clubbing in downtown Montreal. Uh, On her way back from the club, she's almost mugged but is assisted by a shadowy figure who turns out to be wolverine making an appearance uh finally in an alpha flight comic they chat for a bit and he recommends that she visits james hudson in ottawa uh even though at that point all he's seen her do is just beat up a couple of thugs in an alleyway um but uh, kudos to john byrne for not putting wolverine on the cover if this if this came out in 1994 wolverine would be way on the cover even though he's on three panels in the comic book i uh i think that's probably true um uh, Adriana, let's start with you. What What did you think of this origin story, uh, and how did it make you feel about um, Aurora and and sort of where she's coming from and how Byrne is writing her? 
Um, well, in previous episodes, we, we've talked quite a bit about Byrne's handling, uh, or perhaps mishandling, of the Jean-Marie Aurora personality crisis and her mental illness uh, in general. But I find this story to actually be full of pathos and an empathy and compassion that was sorely missing in previous issues. Like, this is a really tragic story, and Byrne treats it here finally uh, with the gravity it really needs for the most part. Uh, And on a personal level, I really connect to this story because I went through 12 years of Catholic schooling with nuns, like the whole shebang, uh, and I know quite well how hellishly toxic and hostile that kind of environment is for anyone struggling with being different in, in any way at all. Uh, it, it's an environment that demands conformity and unquestioning compliance and, and any devi- deviation from uh, their narrowly defined orthodoxy is stamped out by any means necessary. So for me, this was by far the most affecting and compelling of the backstories Byrne has explored up to this point, Um, not only for how it's presented, but also in terms of of personal investment. It's just very raw raw and real to me. Mm. It's a little less uh, personal for me, but I I feel like the storytelling, the portrayal of the trauma and the the ways that uh, she feels trapped by what is obviously an abusive sort of community and system. I You could feel that. And I, I don't know. I feel like anyone reading this would feel that sense of uh, deep claustrophobia and fear and everything that's going on. Yeah. Now, Doug, I know you're a big nun lover, so this must have been hard <laughs> for you to read. Um, did you find yourself still having compassion for uh, Jean-Marie despite your bias towards nuns? Um uh, though I did not go to a Catholic church my, uh, or a Catholic school myself, my mother certainly didn't. So did her entire family. And my childhood was uh, marked by stories of the abuse that they suffered at the hands of those nuns. So, I mean, it certainly is a very believable kind of portrayal on display here. I, I just want to go right back to the beginning of the story simply because there's really something kind of – it's it's distressing in how serious it is that you have this 13-year-old who is suicidal but this kind of beautiful moment that as she tries to kill herself, that that she flies, right? I mean, I think that's a really amazing moment. And I think it's presented very simply and very compassionately. And I really like how that's presented. And the very fact that, you know, she's like, I've discovered this special thing about myself. I'm going to take this to the only people I trust, which are the nuns. And, of course, they they torture her for it. I mean, this is a very critical story about <laughs> about Catholic nuns for sure. And as well, it should be. Um, so I really kind of like how that's presented, and uh, I agree entirely with Adriana. This has more of a explanation for why she has that sort of mental break um, that that puts a lot of the previous things that we've already been reading into a much kind of clearer perspective. I doubt it's going to be consistent going forward, and that bothers me a little bit, but I'm not certain that that's going to be the case. But I actually really like that. I really like how this plays out right up until the end, simply because you know, uh, trying to get, I mean, not just mugged. There's, there's obviously a suggestion of sexual violence at the end of it as well. It feels kind of cheap compared to what we've seen so far up to that point, but at least she beats the living hell out of the people who tries to assault her. Um, I, just like in the previous issues where, um, uh, 
characters are offered the opportunity to join Alpha Flight. This one seems kind of a little rushed at the end. It's like Wolverine's like, hey, yeah, you can join now. But but I understand. You kind of got to shortcut it to get to where it's going. But overall, I, I, I agree with Adrian. I think this is the strongest of the origins so far. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I'm still – I'm no expert on mental health, so I don't know. I don't know that the portrayal of her – how she ends up with this condition is entirely fair or not but i also know that like at the time that wasn't public knowledge it's not like everyone's walking around knowing a lot about the the differences between different kinds of dissociative disorders and personality disorders like all that stuff was still a, a little bit of a mess in the popular culture and i don't think it really matters because there's so much emotion here and and you know my memory of this character is not that it is handled with this much compassion later on um but i could be wrong and i and i hope i am just because for me as a reader it felt like this is the first time he's got a finger on who aurora is like this is the first time i feel like oh okay like it it Honestly, this story feels like a breakthrough for Byrne, for this character, for him writing this character, that all of a sudden he has all this compassion for her, and that comes across. Again, I don't know if he sticks with it, or, again, it doesn't matter if he, you know, he doesn't write off a flight forever, so it could very well be that someone else decides to cheapen what's established here but it it does feel like i don't know if it if it stays this way into the future um i actually liked the wolverine thing even though i agree it is a little i guess fast but uh you know i i think the idea that wolverine it has an eye out for mutants and for you know people with abilities i I'm, i i buy that i'm into that i'm fine with it and i like the idea that he has this ace in the hole of wolverine that he has pulled out at such a random time yeah. that I, I i kind of i kind of appreciate that uh but but uh but i hear what you're saying that you know what it it can be such a cheap sort of plot device to be like all right we've got this female character let's put her in danger for you know so that we can she can do her thing but on the other hand how else is he gonna i mean the only other way he's gonna see her use her powers is if he just catches her flying her around or something so at, at least this feels like you know, it, it fits with the character. It allows us to see her doing something, you know, that, you know, will be kind of who she is into the future. So I don't know. It, it works for me. And, and it really is the first of these stories that when I, I finished it, I thought, yeah, that was good. I'm into that. I'm glad I read that. That was that was worth it. <laughs> the Wolverine moment may be a little bit contrived, but it, it does make sense. I have to say, though, as I was reading that, um, when I saw Wolverine standing there commenting on what he was seeing but not intervening, I was starting to get kind of mad. Uh, but then he jumps in, so I reacted kind of prematurely. I mean, I do kind of feel like it, it, if you want to tell me that Wolverine just walks around cities smoking a cigar <laughs> and watching people and just, just waiting for, for stuff to pop off, I mean, I believe you. <laughs> like, I'm, uh, I'm okay with that. I, I um, do think there's a, there's a danger of presenting Wolverine too much in some of these backstories because, I mean, eventually you have to tangle with that issue, which is that Wolverine is a part of the development of what would become Alpha Flight. And because he is such a popular character, you, you – run the risk of people being like, well, let's get to that story. That's the story we want to hear is how he was involved with them. And it's probably good that they've held off on him uh, being involved in any major capacity, which I know is at odds with what I've said recently, which is that, hey, it's a super popular character. Put him in there to help sell more issues. But considering the pace of how we're bringing everything together, I don't think John Byrne was worried about getting canceled at this point. Well, and I don't – I let me just go ahead and say this actually doesn't quite work with this – 
plot line we've seen because she's fully on the team when they try to kidnap Wolverine and bring him back to Canada. <laughs> so like it, 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 at what point is he on good enough terms with James to send her to James, but still on bad enough terms that later she'd come to get him? It it actually doesn't make sense at all, but I don't know that anyone reading is thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. I think at this point, a lot of people have probably forgotten those stories. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I don't think it ma- I don't think they're like, there's that many people saying, well, the timeline of this just doesn't make <laughs> sense. I don't think that's probably... Yeah, me either. I didn't even think of it, but you're right. Except for the idea that we don't know how long the processing, you know, once the training starts to join Alpha Flight, we know that there are there's beta flight, you know, that people work up this ladder. Maybe that's years, right? Maybe that's just a really long process. Though I imagine if we mapped out the timeline, it would not make sense. Well, and I strongly suspect that if we went to the uh, those old stories and I haven't done it so I don't know that there's probably a line where they suggest that she doesn't know who Wolverine is or something you know what I mean like or that Wolverine doesn't remember who she is or you know what I mean like I, I don't know that it's com- it, that it completely works but who knows and honestly it doesn't matter like it's for me I'd rather see him there than worry about like mm, the timeline doesn't work out I'm like oh I like that Wolverine just showed up there that's cool that's a that's a fun little thing there what did y'all think about the art of this section is there anything you wanted to point out the only thing that really registered to me was the very first frame which shows uh Aurora uh, you know basically looking out into the night sky you have the religious symbol of the praying nun next to her it's a statue i mean i think it's a really affecting image uh i like the the fact that the lettering of the title kind of is behind all of the elements in the foreground i think it's almost got a it almost has a fairy tale quality to it which considering you know that idea of someone jumping from a rooftop and being able to fly there's a peter pan aspect to that which i think works really well overall in this story and i think he captures that well with that kind of um that that first image the rest of it i mean it's it's good it's perfectly fine but uh it didn't register with me quite as strongly um I, yeah I, I really love that opening page as well like uh, the detailing on that building is fantastic just the the shading the checkered shading mm-hmm. on the chimney and the shingles and sort of like all the ornate etching on uh, the side of the building is really great and then later on we see a pretty detailed stained glass window. Yeah, I, I, I like the background stuff going on. I, I have one other question about the story before we move on, which is that the two gentlemen who try to attack Aurora, who are waiting in the alley, are they supposed to be American? The reason I ask is because they're presented, at least the, the blonde guy with the big mustache, he's got this accent where he goes, like, it's going to get real bad for you now, which seems like it's trying to suggest that he is uh, not from around there. I didn't. I didn't uh, get that impression. Yeah, I didn't notice but. that either. I just think bad people being imported from America. We need to build that wall. I think and keep these. Well, I would borders support that. Closed. That sounds fine. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, let's move on to uh, the next issue here. Um, Alpha Flight, Volume One, Number Ten, May nineteen eighty four. Written, penciled, and cover by John Byrne. <laughs> A lot happens in the uh, the larger story called Blood Battle <laughs> going on here. So that be- it begins with some closure. You might remember a few issues ago, uh, Guardian arrived home at his apartment and found a letter waiting for him. Apparently, it was a job offer from Roxanne. So now he ha- he and Heather have moved to New York City uh, to work for a giant oil conglomerate, which I don't look. 
this isn't just from the perspective of 2019. I get that John Byrne lived in Alberta for a long time, but are you kidding me? How is he not the villain at this point? Uh, so while he's uh, shopping around for this new apartment, he almost runs into Steve Rogers, Captain America himself, who uh, briefly has kind of a feeling, a sort of a feeling that this guy has a lot of power. Uh, James Hudson also gets a Superman moment. He pulls off his shirt in the middle of an alleyway and starts flying into the air, but he has to uh, keep his clothing in a sack over his shoulder because he's a giant dork and I'm liking him less with every issue that goes by. But I think everyone's waiting to hear what's going on with Walter Lankowski. He is still battling the Super Skrull, uh, who's been toying with him basically because he doesn't he he knows he has a sense that Lankowski is powerful but not why. Uh and so he's kind of toying with him at this point, but then he knocks him into some snow and he kind of falls through the snow and as he when he comes up he is the Sasquatch. They fight with uh, the Sasquatch, almost getting the, the upper hand since Super Skrull has developed super leukemia from his time as a radioactive signal. That's part of that science we were talking about just a few minutes ago. Uh, and super, uh, Sasquatch looks like he's going to uh, to uh, win, but then he's hypnotized by the Super Skrull into submission. Uh, so, or so it seems. He's actually faking it, and he helps the Skrull build a transporter device to bring him back to his home. Before, uh, he, when the Super Scroll has some of the effects of the leukemia, he doubles over, Sasquatch tackles him, pushes him into the device, and pretty much blasts his particles into space. And there's even, if that's not enough, there's a, a suggestion that if he's able to bring his particles back together, that the cancer is going to kill him immediately anyway. So uh, that's our hero, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Walter, at the very end of this uh, segment, Walter arrives home to BC. And he's surprised to find that Aurora is waiting in his apartment. She says that after breaking up with Northstar as a team, she's decided to move in with him. And there's going to be hilarious consequences. Wowie zowie. (laughs) Sorry. We'll get to it. Uh, Let's start with uh, where all comics start, the cover. What did you all think of this cover? How about you, Doug? I love this cover uh so it's it basically is a massive close-up of sasquatch's face with his eyeballs literally engulfed in flames to display his rage and he has gritted teeth and uh, whatever hesitations i have about the design of this character generally uh this is an intimidating image uh and it really puts the focus on the idea that this character is very upset and he's going to use this rage to beat the hell out of some scroll from outer space who has cancer and that's what's going to happen in this <laughs> issue. So it's kind of funny because you see this covering it's like, "Oh, yeah, I want to jump right into this fight." And then you got to go through all that James Hudson stuff before you get to it. <laughs> fair, fair. Uh Adriana, what did you think of the cover? Uh, I agree with Doug completely. I don't have much to add to what he had to say. I really I mean, I like the details on his face sort of like the the line work you could really sort of get a sense of the sort of coarse body hair that Sasquatch has and and sort of like his <laughs> he he has this um he's baring his teeth his very intimidating teeth uh yeah it, i i think it's a, it's a very effective cover um i agree except for i actually don't love the flames in the eyes it's a little too on the nose what? for what I, Come I, on. I mean, I think I, I like what Doug had to say about the eyes, but when I saw it, I also thought that it was sort of like reflecting what he was seeing, like he was looking at it like the flames. Oh, right. Oh, you know what? Maybe that is that. Okay. So I wasn't thinking of it that way because at this point, he's already <laughs> away from the base, right? So I wasn't thinking of him looking at the base on fire per se. 
maybe if that's like it's a reflection, I guess. I interpreted it the way Doug did, which is like that's his burning rage, I'm and sure I was most like, people would. And I I just think that's a little corny <laughs> because him just having eyes is scary. This image is scary enough without flame eyes. The flame eyes is just like more than it needs for what it needs to be. But I mean, it doesn't ruin the. Co- I'm not saying it's a bad cover because of that. I just think you know I would be like you know what, just stick with normal eyes. That's it's fine. Um, <laughs> whatever it is, what it is still it is. It has a lot of detail. We get to see him up close. Um, I'm kind of surprised. You know, I'm looking at his very. You're right, intimidating teeth. I'm surprised he doesn't have like more fang-like teeth. But I guess oh, maybe yeah. you know what I mean. Like they're definitely a little sharp towards the edges but they're not like quite like fangs i don't know maybe i'm just projecting a little bit would his teeth transform when he does or would they stay human teeth but just bigger because there is that conversation he has with meg where he says like his organs enlarge and all sorts of other things so maybe his teeth just get bigger they don't actually become sharper or change shape in any way except that they just grow in size his bones knit together. Apparently, he can fix a lot of those issues through his transformation. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess the idea is that he's just human, but more so. And that includes his body hair, which just goes out of control. I'm more surprised by the fact that apparently the hair covers his lips. That must be very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I that that's interesting. I hadn't noticed that, but you're right. And um, that actually makes me uncomfortable to think about. So uh, <laughs> as Doug already pointed out, instead of jumping into the battle uh, between Sasquatch and Super Scroll, we get this uh, <laughs> uh, follow-up of the, the story of Guardian. And I remember reading this thinking, Doug, this is something Doug is going to really love. Because if I think of the symbol of Canada, the very embodiment of what it means to be Canadian and the pride and the, the, the just the power and all of the patriotism of Canada, I definitely think of a guy who immediately wants to move to New York instead and work for an oil company. That sounds right. That sounds exactly what uh, the leader of Canada's super-powered beings would do. Uh, So, Doug, I I assume as you were reading this, you felt a surge of pride that suddenly Guardian was going to become a New Yorker the way all Canadians wish they were. It's, It's amazing to think that there was ever a time that when someone thought of a giant oil company that they didn't think of them as inherently evil, right? And and I don't even think in the early 80s that – I mean, are you kidding me, right? I mean, I know we've joked about this with because Heather works for, had, has been shown to work for Roxanne in previous issues. But the very idea that there's not even a question about kind of the moral consequences of working for an oil company. But even putting that aside, you're right, Liam. The idea of the leader, like the whole purpose of Alpha Flight, the whole concept behind them is that finally Canada, this massive nation with all of these provinces, you know, small population, but it's this, it's this huge, huge uh, section of the world, it has a superhero team to traverse it and to take care of it and to look over it. And it's like, and now the leader of it is moving to the United States. Like, what the hell were they thinking? And I, I, I suspect that there is a plan in place here. But it's just, at this point, just reading it, I was like, this character who has already struggled to find his identity, it feels like they're kind of backing off even more on him as a as a leader of this group. And that probably is reinforced by the fact that he's moved to New York before we've even seen the group all together. And also, if you think of Roxxon's role in the Marvel Universe just over the years, like, it's a shady company. So it's just, it's just odd to think of him as part of, the, like, this massive oil conglomerate 
he was a petrochemical engineer prior to joining Applefloyd, so I, I guess he was already working within a sector of the oil and gas industry, so it sort of makes sense on that level. But sure. It, there is something a little incongruous about a superhero who ostensibly works for the public interest to, to go eagerly work for big oil. I mean, it. Uh, I have suspected from the beginning that uh, this is just... Byrne can't think of what job a scientist in Canada would have other than to work for oil. Like that thing, he's just like, I don't know what he's going to do it up there. He's got to work for oil, right? What else is going on in Canada? And besides the fact that we've never quite understood how this petrochemical scientist is building a super suit. Like that's just not clear. All all of it is weird to me. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. uh, And Adriana, I, I don't know if you felt this way too. I suspect that all Canadians underneath the surface really want to be Americans anyway. So some part of me felt like this was just fulfilling. <laughs> like, of course he's going to move to New York. Who's going to stay in Canada? Oh, yeah. he James finally becomes a valid human being. <laughs> I mean, I think there's there, it's an interesting point you're making, Liam, in the sense that, the, no, I don't believe that Canadians feel that way. But one of the things, one of the ways that Canadians define themselves, and this is something that you'll hear again and again, is mostly by just not being American. And that's what they define, you know, when they say about who they are, it's like, well, it's in comparison to this powerful nation right. to the South. That is what we are not like, even though we have a lot in common with them. However, the people who have found fame from Canada, worldwide fame, have all had to leave Canada and go to the United States. And there is a certain element of uh, mistrust and... Uh, shame, I guess, would be mixed up in it, but really kind of resentment towards some of the people who do that. And that's why this is particularly a strange move, because you could see if I was, say, in the world of the Marvel Universe, I was a Canadian and was aware that Alpha Flight existed, the idea of the leader working now out of New York City would be like, it, it fundamentally, it would be like, that's horse pucky. <laughs> that's garbage, right? That, that, that defeats the purpose. I think it's also weird for me as a human living post 9-11, the idea that anyone would ever think that either government would be like, yeah, just fly back and forth across the border, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want. It's fine. We don't have a problem with that. Like today, that wouldn't happen. Like, you know what I mean? Like we wouldn't even consider that as like an easy plot point. Um, I had a. Yeah, I don't know if it's fair to judge this comic from that point of view, though. Just. Right. Because no, I'm, I'm not even saying that. Like, I'm. Ju- I'm just saying, like, it was just confusing to me because of the context I'm in. I was like, so he just gets to fly. He's going to commute back to Canada for Alpha Flight. That just seems like <laughs> a lot. I don't know if that's going to fly with people, but I guess at the time that was less. It was less weird to talk about that. You know, that that was a time when people could get across the border at least a little bit easier. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to point out before we move on to the the rest of the story and see what you guys thought uh, is Captain America a psychic? Does he have Spidey sense? What is going on in this weird scene? I don't know what to make of it. I was wondering about that too because I don't remember them ever interacting. Well, there is a suggestion I think in the dialogue that they have met each other. What was it at? That some sort of trial of the Hulk or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I tried to find um, that issue to read before we recorded, and I I just couldn't figure out which issue it was, and I haven't been able to to read it. But apparently there was. So maybe one. he recognized. Yeah, maybe he recognized his voice or something like that. Maybe his smell. <laughs> or maybe it was just like, hey, that guy's pretty built and he's moving into my old apartment. Uh, <laughs> he must be a superhero. It's New York City. We're crawling with him. It's a str- It just felt like a strange, unnecessary aside that I didn't oh, quite yes. understand why it was there. I don't know. Am I wrong about that? It just felt like, why even include that? 
No, it seems superfluous to me, too. I think it was just a, a John Byrne winking to reader saying, like, hey, look who it is. He's in New York now. He's going to run into a bunch of these guys. <laughs> and that's why he name-checked right. Spider-Man as well, though I, I did think it was very interesting that his first instinct is to go out and basically have, like, a legitimate Superman moment. And even with the imagery of Superman ripping open his shirt like that, and it's just, you know, a little little tip to the hat to the other company out there. Yeah, it was cute. And I'm not going to lie, like, the idea that if he is, if this character really is thinking about moving to New York, that part of that might be motivated by some desire to, like, have superhero team-ups because somehow that makes him a more legit superhero. That kind of plays into, like, what we've seen about this character already, which is that he's incredibly insecure about his role. That he, he, you know, he's a guy who made a suit. And now he has to wear that suit and be a hero. And we still haven't seen any evidence that he's, like excited by that role or wants to have that role so um i kind of like the idea that maybe he feels like this gives him more legitimacy being in new york despite the fact that again he's the representative of kid his outfit is the canadian flag it, it, there's there's a certain thing there that doesn't quite work you know <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if we, we want to see you know captain britain moves to austin texas or something like it, it i don't quite get the the idea of it but whatever it, it is what it is um so then we move into the story with uh, uh, the Super Scroll and Sasquatch, and I, I, I want to know what y'all think about this because I, I found the super leukemia angle, uh, a strange one. Let's say strange and possibly upsetting. Um, Adriana, what did you think about this this aspect of the story? No, I agree. It's very odd, and it sort of just it it kind of comes out of nowhere. It just seems like Burn was sort of bra- brainstorming ideas for how to wrap up this battle and he just thought oh uh super leukemia that sounds like a good idea i don't know and i also i i had a hard time even understanding what was actually going on uh like it it seemed like there was something happening on a molecular level with the super scroll but it wasn't exactly clear it was kind of like buried in a lot of weird science mumbo jumbo uh, that I could only sort of understand through context clues. It sort of seemed that they were making the scrolls somewhat sympathetic. And maybe I'm just reading too much into it. But even the idea that after he had Sasquatch build this machine for him to send him back, that he's like says like he basically is saying to him, "I'm not going to murder you. I'm just going to let you freeze to death." Which of right. course isn't that sympathetic. But the very fact that he's not going to murder him and he knows he's a giant like. Uh, hair-covered creature seems to suggest that, well, maybe he's going to let him live for the most part, but then the retribution from Sasquatch is to literally blast him into atoms. Now, of course, he has a right to be very angry. He just did murder all of those people at that base. He is a terrible uh, creature. But, th- I mean, it is such a vicious way, especially when it seems like even if he had just left the Skrull and just ran away, that the Skrull was just going to die anyway because he had this leukemia that obviously was affecting him in that moment, like it just every once in a while, he doubles over in pain. It's just like it's like he's just basically, I guess, hurrying up nature by spreading his atoms out there when cancer itself would have just killed him anyway. I don't know how endearing it is to have a hero that we're still trying to get to know a little bit. Literally, just be like, "All right, well, just get all the cancer, bye," and just shoot him <laughs> out into space so he gets more cancer. Like I, again, I get it. You're you you're. Uh, it's good to point that out, Doug. He did just murder a base full of people, but <laughs> I, I'm not used to heroes, you know, sort of uh, 
having their own sense of retribution that way. Like, well, he killed all my friends, so hopefully he gets all the cancer in in space. Like it. It was a real Fletcher Hanks moment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it it just seemed like a weird decision. Um, I also don't. I didn't know that the Super Scroll had hypnotism powers. Is that a thing that you yeah, guys knew about? Right. <laughs> or that I guess he doesn't. I don't. I I didn't. I wasn't aware of that either. That that was a surprise to me. I mean, uh, I mean, it really felt to me that the okay. So we had some critical things to say about the intro, just that it went a little fast, or sure. that you know the science doesn't work. But I felt like we had a good setup here for a cool Sasquatch adventure with the sure. Super Scroll, and then this ending felt like. You know, we get very little battle. We get a lot of narrative about leukemia from space. And then we just get, you know, uh, uh, Sasquatch being like, ha ha, tricked you. Go back to space, jerk. Like, I, I mean, it, you're right. It's, it's more than that, though, Liam, which is that this isn't even the Super Scroll as you know him, readers. This is a hobbled version that is already right. horribly ill, right? I mean, it's just like the question in the first issue is how can – this character who who you know is very strong but we know isn't as strong as the strongest large characters in the Marvel universe how is he going to fight a character that has the 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 powers of all the fantastic 4 plus plus and the answer is oh he's just not as powerful as you think he is because he has cancer and also you know he because of this uh, ability, he's just going to outthink him in kind of the most simplistic way possible, which is, oh, you think you are hypnotizing me, but because I have part of my human brain in here, I can pretend to be hypnotized until the moment where you literally double over in pain, and then I can take advantage of that fact. Yeah, I don't want to harp on this too much, but it just, it really felt to me unsatisfying, and it like, as you said, Adriana, that it, it felt almost like I got to brainstorm something to end this story because I set myself up here and and I just got to move on. Um, Honestly, the weird note about, uh, you know, James and and Roxxon, that feels more significant at this point than any of this stuff with with Sasquatch. I I don't know. This issue kind of this part, at least of this issue, left me feeling rather unsatisfied. Uh, Adriana, do you feel like this was kind of thrown together at the last minute or whatever or does this still work as like a way for us to get to know who sasquatch is as a part of this team uh well i can't really speak to um burn's process in writing this issue and how 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 far ahead he had plotted anything but i do think it's another example of of burn sort of struggling with resolving conflict that he sets up and then sort of introducing these very contrived scenarios to to quickly wrap things up uh, and so I agree in the sense that it wasn't very satisfying. And I also, I don't really think it tells us that much more about Walter that, than we already knew. Except that he's a weirdo who walks into his house <laughs> saying, honey, I'm home to an empty house just because his <laughs> wife left him a number of years ago. And he just thought. <laughs> so sad. He just thought it was uh, a quirky thing to do. So I we do learn uh, a bit about him in that moment, but not really any anything like over the course of the two issues. <laughs> well, weirdly, I, I have read enough Alpha Flight to know there is an important point here, and that is when he loses control. Uh, and that will become a theme, I think, for this character into the future, and we'll have a chance to talk about that. Uh, but as it's in this story, it doesn't feel significant. I know that it will become more significant, but it just seems so random in this story that we have this moment of him raging out, 
and then he's back to himself and it it it, it is it's a hint at something but it, it's almost the only thing that kind of persists after this until of course as as uh as uh Doug pointed out in his synopsis Aurora and Northstar have broken up they've ended their special relationship and now she needs to go somewhere so she heads to Walter's apartment um <laughs> uh, do y'all want to see more of Walter and Aurora is this a is this a plot point you're interested in Doug or or is this just something you're like why is this happening I question the morality of having sex with someone who has obvious mental issues and a split personality or multiple personality disorder just because she shows up to your apartment. Breaking in, by the way. And clearly uh, in a volatile emotional state. Absolutely. So it's going to depend, Liam, on how sensitively <laughs> Walter and perhaps John Byrne handles this relationship going forward. But I can say if... This was being repeated, say, in the world that you and I live in. I would suggest this not go ahead in any capacity. All I have to say to you, Doug, is I think you'll find out why William and I don't like Walter. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I do want to say this is this is what bums me out a little bit about the last issue. And again, we'll see how it goes forward. I don't have a perfect memory of, of how he writes it. But my suspicion is that Byrne sees Aurora as the real person. Or at least he starts to write her that way. And so um, at least for how Walter uh, is going to see this situation, Jean-Marie is just a problem to avoid. Yeah. And I don't know that that's how we should be treating people who are dealing with this sort of issue. Again, I'm not a psychologist, but I have a suspicion that that's not quite right. Um, So I, I see this and I just think, I don't want more of this, and I and I know there is more uh, coming, but I it's not it's not the thing I'm excited about. Uh, I you know let's bring let's bring uh, super leukemia back. I'd rather have <laughs> more of that than than this plot point, honestly. Uh, so that being said, I, I want to spend a little time asking y'all, what did you think about the art? We were pretty stoked on the art in the last issue. Do we think that this issue continues that quality? Do we think it's a little bit lacking? What What do you think, Doug? I mean, I it. it does continue to some extent. I mean, this is a little snow heavy <laughs> in this issue. So it, it, we've seen these kind of battles in the snow happen already a few times in Alpha Flight. So, um, and there's a part of me that's also like, you know, Canada has more than just snow in it. <laughs> we can we can mix it up a little bit, but I understand what they're doing. They're going with here. The only image that really struck out, uh, not struck out, that, that kind of stuck out to me was when the scroll gets transferred in the uh, in the machine uh, and basically is torn apart and it's you know it screams no and it's this really kind of evocative image of his entire body stretching and it has these great kind of red lines behind it. I really like that because you can see kind of the pain and agony involved. However, that also reinforces the idea. It's just like, Dude, Sasquatch is that's a brutal way of murdering that guy. Ruthless. It also reminded me of that few panels in Watchmen where Dr. Manhattan undergoes his Absolutely. transformation. Yeah, I I thought the same thing actually. Um but I think that it is an example of really cool art that like you suggested Doug doesn't really work for the narrative because I don't know that we're supposed to f- be feeling bad for murder super scroll guy who just killed all these innocent people. But that's th- that image for me made me go, oh, ah, 
man, poor, poor guy. And it's like, no, I'm not, that's not what I'm supposed to be feeling. Right. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Adriana, (laughs) what, what, what stuck out for you about the art? Like, what did you like? What did you not like? I guess I agree with Doug, uh, in the sense that a lot of it was just a continuation of the sorts of things Byrne was doing in the previous issue. There was, I really like, uh, towards the end, the Vancouver skyline, a nice use of, of, of colors to sort of illuminate the city at night. Um, I think that was really what stuck out to me. I guess similar to that, the, the way that the very first image you see of it of in the issue, which is of the New York skyline, is also nicely done, though it looks like it's kind of photographic reference over it. So maybe it's not so nicely done, but maybe I'm, I'm just... Uh, I'm just hypnotized myself by seeing the, the Twin Towers in that image. Yeah. I, I think that um, the beginning part uh, with... James in New York. Some of that stuff I like, and some of it I, I I think is not bad, but just not as good as we've seen him do cities before. And I, and I think there's a lot there's a lot to do when you're portraying New York, and 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 I, I don't think it has as much of that detail as I would like. Uh, but it's not bad or anything. It doesn't feel like thrown together or anything. It's just not quite as good. Um, but uh, you know, I agree with you guys. It's it's. The the art is is fine this issue and it, it kind of continues stuff but there's at, at least there was there was very few things that stuck out to me the way some of the stuff did in the last issue um, and and so and especially knowing how I guess what it what it is is that he can be so creative that maybe I want him to do that too much maybe I'm starting to get where I want there to be some innovation in every issue and and that's not real right like he can't it it, it would get excessive if every uh, issue there was something that was like whoa ah, I've never seen that before like that that would be strange I don't know I it it, it was fine but it, it didn't stick out to me particularly um, let's move on to this uh, origin story uh, here at the end we, we get some uh, origin of North Star uh, and, and uh, it's called Family Ties Doug why don't you tell us about what happens in this uh, uh, final origin so they have a lot of information to pack in here. So they, they allow James Hudson, who is uh, talking to Aurora at the beginning of this, this section, he spells out the rest of her backstory. He reveals that her and Northstar are twins, which, of course, we already know. And Northstar was taken in by his mother's cousin after their parents' death, but they were they were separated, and she was sent to be raised by the violent Canadian nuns that we are aware of now. Um, Northstar's adopted parents, I guess his father was a member of the RCMP, which is an interesting little wrinkle. They moved away and then died, so uh, that explains why... He's kind of in a bad mood all the time. He had two sets of parents pass away on him. Uh, So then Jean-Paul arrives in Ottawa to have this meeting with uh, James Hudson. He refuses to speak English when he arrives, which I think is most meant to present him as a jerk. But you know what? As the guy said, if you work for the government of Canada, you are supposed to be bilingual. And when the guy's like, well, you know, I don't know it very well. You know, to hell with him. He's supposed to speak French. And this is a bilingual country. Good on uh, Northstar for sticking to his guns. He meets up with Hudson who first accuses him of being a cheater, using his mutant abilities to become a uh, world-class skier. Then he (laughs) implies heavily that he's gay, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, and then immediately offers him a spot in Alpha Flight. Jean-Paul is probably offended as all hell, and he's going to refuse, but then Aurora comes in and she reveals that she's his sister, and I think he feels a lot of pressure to join, uh, so he joins. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I think uh, all three of us were pretty impressed by the Aurora backstory. I'm wondering if that continues on <laughs> for this North Star backstory. Um, Adriana, what did you think of this? Uh, it was fine. I, I didn't find it as emotionally gripping or moving as the Aurora backstory, but uh, 
we do sort of come to get a stronger sense of why Northstar is the way he is and the 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 tragedy of you know what happened with their family and and they're being separated and there's some great North Star moments as far in terms of like his personality and just the fact that he's kind of like sassy and doesn't suffer fools uh, as Doug alluded to <laughs> in his synopsis. And there's also some hints towards other aspects of his, of his backstory too with the uh, remark about the bomb under his arm. Uh, but yeah, I, I found this enjoyable, but I do think the Aurora backstory was a bit stronger overall. Um, as Doug sort of suggested here, uh, there is a very significant, you know, uh, uh, idea here that he's gay. And as we've <laughs> talked about on the show before, th- this is sort of an, an open secret. Not everyone, I guess, picked up on it, but a lot of people did. If you're there to see it, uh, you can see it. Do, what What did y'all think reading this? It, it's, it's weird now because... Um, you know, we already know this about the character. It's not something that's sort of hidden anymore. Um, and I think we're in a social situation where, I guess, in theory, for some people, it's more acceptable. I guess there's still lots of people who are, you know, living in the past and are idiots. But uh, f- for those of us who, who aren't um, horrible humans, we're pretty okay <laughs> with this. This is not something you have to beat around the bush. So it was hard not to find this for me personally, and I'd like to hear what y'all think, it was hard not to find it a little humorous because I already know it. And so it seems like he's hinting at this. The hints are so, I don't know, not subtle that it it made me laugh. But I'm thinking that at the time, it wouldn't be that way, that someone might read this and A, miss it entirely, or B, pick up the hints and think, oh, wow, that's so great. Like, I know, I suspect I know what's going on here, and that makes me feel seen or acknowledged or... Uh, humanized in a way that I wouldn't otherwise. So it's probably actually pretty significant for the time, but I'm reading it kind of giggling a little bit because it seems so, again, beating around the bush. Sure. W- w- what did what did you – we'll start with you, Doug, and then I want to hear from you too, Adriana. What did you think of this moment? Was it – did you feel the power of it or did it feel silly or w- what were you thinking? In the context of this particular issue, yeah, it is a little silly simply because it seems to be brought up completely at random. But I think if you think of the larger scope of pop culture at the time that this came out, I think that there is progress that's on display here in the very fact that North Star is A, not presented as particularly effeminate, uh, B, that he has some complexity to his character, even if it is just that he's kind of a jerk sometimes, like he's not projected as just squeaky clean or a complete monster, that he has some, you know, he, he is a textured character in some way. The insinuations here, at this point, I think an adult reading this who who is not picking up on this is intentionally either either doesn't think that this could even be a possibility, so is ignoring it entirely, or sure, um, or is just being ignorant uh, and, and and intentionally missing it because there is zero reason for James Hudson to say that women don't seem to interest him very much. He says over much, which I don't even know is an expression, but he, he, he just says, it's like, you are cheating at skiing and, you know, the women love you, but he don't seem to be interested in the women very much. I guess that's what it's like with jocks. The winning is all that really matters. But I mean, there's no reason for that to be there except for the insinuation. And after the last couple of issues that we talked about in the last episode, I mean, it's at this point, we know clearly what this character is. Even if he never came out in the comics, 
I think we would all know what's going on here. So, I mean, I, in some ways, I want to, I want to give Byrne credit because he could have done it in a lot of a cheaper, a much cheaper and less effective uh, way. But he's also gone very broad. But this is broad from the perspective of us in 2019, and I, I, right. I guarantee you that there are, were many, many readers at the time that this came out who just didn't even bat an eye at this. And of course, we have the benefit of being able to look for these things, though I have to say I didn't have to look very hard for this one. Sure. Adriana, what were you thinking? I don't have a whole lot to add to what Doug said, or what you said, actually. I think you both kind of hit the nail on the head. Like it's, I find it very humorous just because it is so glaringly obvious what's going on. But uh, you know, I suppose if you were reading this in 1984, LGBT issues and culture weren't as entrenched in like the wider culture as it is now so i suppose like some people it might have just gone over their head but it is hard to imagine an adult reading this to not to not pick up on like the very pointed dialogue going on here with james it, it just seems like c- come on there's, there's one additional element to this which i don't know if it's meant to be applied or not but the very fact that james first brings up his cheating and then brings up this aspect of his personality regarding his relationship with women is there a suggestion that he's trying to pressure him to join alpha flight because if he doesn't he's threatening him that he's saying that i hey i know all this stuff i could expose you in some way i'm sure that that is not meant to be like the core of this character because that doesn't fit into the james hudson we know but if i was in this situation where it's just like here's all your secrets now do you want to join my group i feel like that adds a little bit of pressure that i can see why you might think that that was not my read on it at all. I saw it more as James sort of letting North Star know that, you know, he knows what he's all about and that he understands his situation and that he would be better off joining a team like the Alpha Flight because he would fit in with them. And uh, I didn't find it to be a threat at all. I didn't think it was a threat. I did think it was a dressing down a little bit okay. because I think that James is reading him as very full of himself, which, you know, to some extent, I get that, that maybe he is, in fact, very full of himself. But I mean, you know, he's a super fast guy who's who's very attractive and is, you know, a, a champion. Ski- like, in, in other words, and this is something I thought about North Star a little bit anyway, is that uh, he has every right to be full of himself. He's pretty great. Yes. Like, the, 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 this assumption that it seems like what James is suggesting here is that it would be better for him to help people and you know on that's a, what i was trying to get at. at on a personal level i think that that's probably true it would be better for him to help people but you got to make the case about why that's the thing and instead i feel like this is actually very revelatory of james james becomes guardian because no one else will do it and because he thinks that he should help people he has no actual like vision for what it means to be guardian and i'm not convinced he has any vision for what it is for north star to be north star either i think he just is like look you have powers i'm putting together a team of powers it'd probably be better to be a hero than it'd be like a a cheating person you know what i mean and and i think the suggestion is also partly like that um if if it's almost like suggesting that like what he's getting from his stardom as a ski and you know a, a ski star is a uh, he's not actually getting everything he wants anyway right he's like well you sure get a lot of ladies that way but doesn't seem like you want ladies so uh, I, I, again I, I think he's saying I see you but it's also saying like 
you can't be happy just doing what you're doing, which is being a cheater. You know, like uh, that I'm offering you to do something more. And my read of North Star has always been whenever people assume that North Star is going to make a decision based upon their morality, he's like deeply offended because he doesn't care about the things that they care about, especially when it's like because we need to protect Canada. I don't think North Star cares about Canada. I don't think he wants to protect Canada, or at least not in this version of of the character. And so, well, he cares about one part of Canada, right? Exactly, and that's that's you know the thing. And and so uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's I don't I don't think it's meant as a threat, but I do think it's meant as sort of like a you know I, I get the feeling he's significantly younger than James, and this is sort of James being like, all right, kid, you need to get it together. <laughs> Yeah, a hypocrite, right. James Hudson, telling him, you are the kind of person that this great country of Canada needs. You need to, you know, step up and be a good person. Now I'm going to join an oil company, which poisons the entire planet, and move to the United States. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, totally. All right. So uh, I want to know from y'all, you know, we, we're moving from these uh, small arcs to get us to know individual characters to a, a larger arc um, that is about the team as a whole and the future of the team. And, and before we make that transition to uh, the next issues, I, I just want to know from y'all, did these issues work to help you to get to know the team that is Alpha Flight? Do you feel like you now have a better idea and now you're excited to see them together? Uh, or did they not work or was it a mixed bag? It, Adriana, I just uh, let's start with you. Did you, you know, we've been spending time with each of these smaller arcs with just a couple or one character. Um, did these help you get excited to see the team back together, or do they feel like you know you're kind of wasting time before you get to what you want to see? I think in terms of um, like the North Star centric issues and some of the backstories, like Aurora and the Puck issue, issue number five, I thought those were pretty effective. But in general. Uh, it just seems like Byrne has been treading a lot of water, narratively speaking. And I, I do think it is kind of unusual to have 10 issues of a comic, a team book, where we don't really see the team. And so given that this is a book called Alpha Flight, I am sort of excited about finally being able to see the team together again because we haven't really got much of that so far. So I, I did enjoy the North Star stuff. I'm also kind of biased in that regard. I have to say I'm not super invested in a lot of these characters. I'm mostly invested in North Star and Aurora by proxy. I think that makes sense uh, that that the and I knew we talked about this going in that those were at least North Star was a character you were already interested in before we started this reread and covering these issues. Doug, you're our every man who is coming in uh, <laughs> totally blind and you know you know a lot about Canada but not so much about the Alpha Flight. How do you feel? Did did this work for you to get excited about this team or was it uh you know less effective than you would like? I'm going to take the everyman position of walking a line in the middle uh, and say that it works for me now that I understand what's going on. And I didn't understand what was going on until I read these two issues. And I started it started to make a little more sense because I'm used to uh, the comic book world of now or say the last 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, which you can't map out a 12 issue run ahead of time because 
I mean, your your comic could be canceled after six issues or twelve issues if it's not selling well, and you might not even remain on the creative team that far ahead. But you know, this I I, I wasn't thinking of both the time period this was made and John Byrne's kind of cachet in comics that he obviously has mapped all of this out ahead of time. That that the idea was we do the introduction, we have them go on an adventure, and then we do kind of singular stories with backup stories that introduce everyone. And this has all been really a prequel to the real group starting, which is going to be happening now in the next couple of issues. And that's why I was kind of frustrated in the episodes up to this point, because it felt like, hey, when are we going to get to Alpha Flight? You know, the comic we're supposed to be reading. But this was all intentional the whole time. Now, that being said, it isn't necessarily the most effective way to get a uh, superhero team going, you know, you don't, the first uh, issue of the Avengers doesn't just kind of focus on one character, and then the next issue has another character, and eventually they bring them all together. But they had the benefit of all these separate series that already existed, so people were already familiar with the characters. So this was just kind of another way of doing that. These are new characters for the most part, so you have to put a lot of work in to making them interesting and to putting the potential storylines in their past, whether it be you know complicated relationships with their family or live. You know, there's just a lot that that he has to a lot of work he has to do to make these characters interesting. Whether he's successful right now, the only character I want to see more of is Puck. <laughs> uh, and and of course Marina, which I'm sure she's going to be back soon with a lot of interesting stories. That's going to be great. <laughs> but uh, and and though I'm I am interested in North Star, I I do find I'm actually a little more interested now that he's separated from his sister because them as a team, it just I think it's a little bit too much cynicism and kind of bitchy French Canadianness that they've kind of. Im- Im- Pewed onto these characters, so I, I like the idea of them separated a little bit, even though I don't know like where Aurora's storyline right now is going. So I'm curious, but my big curiosity is how are these characters now that we have a better sense of who they are? How are they going to work together as a team? And I'm hoping we're going to see that soon. Yeah i I feel what you're saying, and 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 for me. On paper, I think this is like a really brilliant way to introduce a team. But having read it, uh, most of it doesn't work for me. Uh, I have to agree with Adriana. I actually am, and and again, maybe this is my bias going in. I feel like I've got the most excitement for Northstar. That we really get a lot about Northstar. Um, similarly about Aurora, but a little less so because she's tied to... At least where we're at right now, she's tied to the Walter Langowski character, which I don't find interesting. Um, I like the idea of Puck, but I actually don't think that issue set up enough for me to be like excited to see more. I just like because I've read other Alpha Flight. I think he's a fun character, but well, I think sorry not to interrupt you, Liam, but I think that's it. He's literally the only fun character, right? He's the only one who's been presented <laughs> as enjoying being a superhero. Sure, Even sure, every, sure. He's the only one not tortured or or has some sort of major conflict. He just wants like to be a small guy who uses his gymnastic skill and beats up people. And I, there's an element of that that is a little bit more refreshing than just seeing. You know, sort of the X Men style drama that's that's inherent in all the other characters. Yeah, I guess so. I guess I, all, all I'm saying is I, I'm thinking about how each of the stories we were given worked or didn't work to get me interested in the characters, and I just feel like there's a lot more uh, uh, for me with the world of North Star and Aurora, and for me personally, more with North Star than Aurora, but at least the two of them, even though they're separate now, um, there's more there that I'm interested in. Whereas the Puck story. Though he's fun, I wish we 
got to know more about him a little bit for me, but um, I'm just excited for the team to get back together. I just, I don't know that these stories worked for me to do the work that I wanted to do because even though I've read a chunk of Alpha Flight, there were still things I didn't know about. I still am confused about with some of these characters, uh, my, either because my memory is hazy or because I haven't, you know, I haven't read every issue. So there's lots of details I'm unaware of, and I don't know that we've gotten them all, uh, and particularly. Uh, two characters that I think should be very interesting are Snowden and I, I don't know. They feel like an empty spot for me right now. I, I, I don't know where they're going in the future. I don't know what it's going to be like. So I'm hoping when the team gets together, we can get a little bit more of a picture of who they are and they get to do a little bit more. Uh, but we'll see. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna be. I I sure hope so, Liam. Because otherwise, why are we doing this podcast? <laughs> well, I'll be honest though. As much as I am sounding critical about the the pacing of these issues, I've still very much enjoyed going back. Even the ones that I think are bad, there's a part of me that just likes to catch up with old comics and likes to read something. Some of them have been very familiar, and some of them are issues that I never got to read before. Uh, and and there's something about that that I've, I've really enjoyed. Uh, Doug, do you have, uh, before we wrap up, I, I, do you have any Canada facts for us? Do you have any special Canada notes that we, we lowly Americans wouldn't know anything about? couple of small Canada facts this go around. We did talk about the Parliament building in Ottawa, and I'm glad you asked about that, Liam, because I do think that compared to the White House, um, that Americans have very little idea of what the Parliament building is all about and how that entire area of Ottawa is supposed to work. Uh, the research station that, uh, that Sasquatch is in for the two issues here is near Mount Logan, which is the highest mountain in Canada. It's actually the second highest peak in North America. Uh, and the mountain was named after Sir William Edmund Logan, a Canadian geologist and the founder of the Geological Survey of Canada. Um, and it, it's, it's located in the southwestern Yukon, so very far north in Canada. I also want to mention that John Byrne uh, mentions a quote from the poet uh, Robert Service, uh, he says the, the Northern Lights have seen some seen queer sights, which is from a poem by Robert Service called "The Cremation of Sam McGee." He was a British uh, Canadian poet who was known as the Bard of the Yukon, so a very apropos person to quote in this story that takes place in the Yukon. Well, thank you for that. I couldn't possibly know any of those things because they're about Canada, and I just don't want to know things about Canada. Uh, okay, so that wraps up uh, episode four. I hope you'll join us for our next episode five. We'll be covering issues 11, 12, and 13, which, uh, no spoilers, contain some significant occurrences for the future of Alpha Flight. I hope you get excited. We're excited. Uh, we want you to follow us on various social medias. I guess we're only on Twitter, actually. Uh, we want you to follow us on the Twitter. Adriana, where can people find this show on Twitter? Uh, you can find us at Flight Stuff Pod. And if people want to follow you on the social media, how would they do that? Very easily. Just uh, open up Twitter and pop at EADXBB into the search bar and uh, you're all set. Awesome. What about, for some strange reason, if they wanted to follow you, Doug? Uh, I'm at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. Stop. I hate you so much. <laughs> I should mention, by the way, that my wife just discovered the name of this podcast a couple days ago. She said, the podcast is called The Flight Stuff? And I said, yeah. And she's like, ugh. <laughs> Not a lot of respect she for what I think. She everything. Is, uh, yeah, she does hate everything. You can, of course, follow me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. 
Uh, and if you want to know more about this network we are part of, Cinepunks, follow uh, Cinepunks on Twitter and Instagram at Cinepunks, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Uh, you can find us at Cinepunks.com, spelled the same. You can find us on Facebook. We also have a special fun hangout group where people uh, share uh, various things that they're excited about related to all kinds of nerdy things. Um, and we would love for you to tell people about the show, post about us, review us on iTunes, download a million episodes, just like download each episode 10 times. That'd be great. Uh, but yeah, let people know, uh, and get at us. We'd love to know what you think about the show. Uh, if Adrian, what's our email? We have an email, right? How, what if people want to email us their questions, their concerns, and maybe even their criticisms? Uh, well, uh, they can drop us a line at flightstuffpodcast at gmail.com. We are so glad that you decided to spend some time with us as we delve further into the world of Alpha Flight, and we hope that you will join us next time on The Flight Stuff. Take care. <laughs>